From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Yeah, here we are rocking it for the new year. Automotive ADHD Show. I'm Matt West here to talk to you about cars. Yeah, that's what this show is about. It is a car show. My family has told me over the holidays that I've been talking too much cars <laughs> around the Christmas tree. They said, no, go home. Go do it on your uh, your podcast. So that's what I'm doing right here. And today we got some really cool stuff to talk about. Uh, Subaru's honeycomb plastic fenders. This is, this is really weird. Subaru says they actually do something. I think it's kind of BS. We'll talk about that. Also, Rivian, the new electric car manufacturer, making electric pickup trucks. Well, customers are getting their first pickup trucks now, actual customer cars, and uh, we're going to take a look at some of the build quality on those. It's a new manufacturer. They've never they've never made cars before, so it'll be really curious to see how the build quality holds up. Also, going to be talking about why all-wheel drive won't save you in the snow. Yeah, here in Colorado, we got some snow and uh, for honestly the first time this winter. I mean, it's so weird. We got all the way through December pretty much with no snow. So very unusual for this part of the country. But hey, New Year's Eve, we got a bunch of snow, which was great. I enjoy driving in the snow because I'm weird and I find that fun for some reason. Now, before we get to any of those topics too, uh, I want to give you some really exciting news for the show, uh, and that is this show is now, it is a podcast, as you know it, and it is now going to be on the radio. Yeah, that's exciting. 91.7 KLZR, uh, Voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. Happy to announce my partnership with them. This show will be broadcast every Saturday at about 10 a.m. on that station. So if you're in Southern Colorado, Feel free to tune into it there, and uh, if not, well, hey, it's still here on the podcast. Nothing there is going to change. So, anyway, with it being the new year, by the way, um, I got to be thinking, you know, I was like, well, what are some of my New Year's resolutions? And then I realized, well, they all involve cars. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. But, uh, so yeah, they involve cars. And, and, and thinking about this, too, um, like, okay, giving some some New Year's resolutions, that would be, um, I don't know, maybe organizing my tools more often. I, I'm pretty bad at doing that. Um, also, breaking my cars less. That's definitely, that's one of them. I have, um, I own five cars. And um, for a good chunk of this past year, 2021, only like one of them ran. So... <laughs> Uh, five cars, one running. I'm at least wanting to get like maybe 50% of cars running. And the, the problem is, is like they all decide to break at different times. I'll get them all, you know, I'll get one running and then the other one breaks. But hey, what what can you do? This is this is the life uh, of uh, someone who likes cars and who likes buying cheap cars, more importantly. So uh, also specifically my S2000, my Honda. Yeah, that's the one I really want to avoid breaking anymore. I'd like to at least get through one track season without blowing the motor up, which I have not been able to do that two years running. So, uh, and the problem is those darn motors are a pain. Ah, I love the F20C, but oh my God, parts for them are just through the roof now as far as cost goes, because everyone's decided for some reason that they're rare and now they're expensive. And I have a very, very cheap, uh, formerly haggard, beat up example of an S2000. And it's hilarious now. Well, hilarious in an ironic way. 
to see engines going for more than I paid for the whole car. So, yeah, I want to break that less. Now, anyway, uh, I want to know some of your New Year's resolutions. Hey, even if they don't involve cars, you can always let me know. Interact with the show on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotiveadhd. Lots of cool stuff going on there. Of course, all things Throttle Warrior, you can check out at throttlewarrior.com. You can email the show, matt at throttlewarrior.com. Now, ladies, gentlemen, Dotson 510s. Let's talk about Subaru. So Subaru recently in the past couple months released its new fifth generation WRX. And of course, that's their uh, four door compact sedan, all wheel drive turbo, not the STI version yet. That's the, the more powerful one. We have yet to see that. But the, the, the regular one has, has come out, and it's in the hands of journalists. And mechanically, it's really well liked. It has a 2.4-liter um, turbo flat four. It's a uh, horizontally opposed engine, or a boxer engine, as they're called, uh, which is up from two liters in the previous generation. Now, the interesting thing is it makes the same amount of horsepower and torque um, with a bigger engine. And they did that by running a bigger engine, but with less boost through the turbo, a lower boost pressure. So that's interesting. That could be good for long-term reliability, less boost pressure. Uh, the engine's happier to operate at that that uh, power level. And more importantly for the tuner crowd, uh, it, it probably is uh, that, that engine exists in some other Subaru cars, SUVs, and bigger things, and it makes more power. So it's totally reasonable to think with a simple tune, uh, you can up the boost pressure, and get a lot of power out of that car very easily and honestly pretty reliably because that engine does make more power in other platforms. So that is very cool to see. From an enthusiast perspective, I really, really enjoy that. Uh, and um, also, it's another car with a manual transmission in 2022. What an amazing thing to have. <laughs> it's interesting that we've come to this point of like, oh, does it? it's amazing that it has a manual when years ago the manual was just the standard option. But uh, it's very nice to see that. Uh, and uh, because apparently Subaru has had a hard time selling the automatic transmission versions of the WRX. And uh, that's that's contrary to the rest of the car market. Everyone's buying autos in the rest of the market, except for the WRX. So Subaru says, no, we'll still sell the manual. It might have something to do with the fact that the autos were uh, CVTs and they sucked. But, you know, Subaru won't. They're, they're not the ones that'll say that. I'll say it, though. Um, now, what is interesting, though? So it's a great car. It's a manual transmission. Fun car, practical, all-wheel drive, you know, turbo four-cylinder. And again, the manual. So it's, it's a great little compact sports sedan. And everyone is fixated on the fenders. No, no one cares. No, whatever, manual. No, 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 no. Bigger engine. No, no, no. No one cares. No. <laughs> everyone seems to be complaining about the fenders. So if you haven't seen it, picture the last generation model, except with these grotesquely large plastic fender flares integrated into the body that go around the wheel arches. And um, I wouldn't even call them fender flares. I guess they would just be fender trim, wheel arch trim. Uh, anyway, it's black plastic. Looks ugly. Like, think of, um, sh should I say it? Pontiac Aztec. Think of that. Yeah. Or the... Uh, Isuzu Vehicross. You think of the cars from the early 2000s just clad with all that plastic on the bottom half of the car. And the problem with this is 
it doesn't age well. It, it like it might look good for like two or three years while it's new, but if that car stays parked outside, that plastic um, it like oxidizes. It turns. It gets kind of chalky and white. I'm sure you've seen that. Um, uh, Jeep fenders are famous for doing this as well. Uh, and and th- th- that black plastic, it just doesn't age well. It, it just doesn't age well. And I don't really know why manufacturers are so intent on using it. Um, and uh, now, it, Subaru has come to the defense of this. All this critical hate on the internet about these black fender uh, flare, fender trim things. Again, I, I can call them fender flares. There's no real flare to them. But uh, uh, Subaru says that it improves the aerodynamics of the car because the black plastic isn't just smooth or have a, it doesn't just have a satin finish. It has a slight honeycomb texture to it. And they said this has the same effect in a wind tunnel as a golf ball with the dimples. They say it's actually supposed to reduce drag, and they they published a bunch of um, simulation stuff and some CFD numbers, I guess, and uh, and they posted that, and they said, look, it actually does something. We're not crazy. No, Subaru, no, <laughs> you are still crazy. It looks awful. Uh, and sure, okay, maybe it has some portional, tiny little effect on the car, but it's a very small surface area, and we're not talking a high-performance supercar here. We're talking a performance sedan with, like, 260 horsepower, if that. So, um, is it really that beneficial to have this minor, minor aerodynamic improvement? I mean, so minor that, honestly, you probably, if you were going to modify this car for some casual track days and fun driving, you're better off just spending the money on some grippier tires, and you'd get better performance than this minor little aerodynamic benefit. So I don't really see the purpose in that. And if that was the case, all right, if that was the case, then you think race cars would have figured this out a long time ago and just built the whole cars out of this honeycomb looking plastic. They don't do that. And race cars and big racing teams and think Le Mans teams, Le Mans, there you go, got to say it right. Think teams like that, you know, they would, they would figure this out. It's kind of their job to win races. So I don't really see the point of this. I think Subaru did it uh, for design reasons, aesthetic reasons, and not good aesthetic reasons, and uh, no one told them that, that you know, it looks bad. But you know what? It is a bigger trend that we are seeing in the car industry. It will look dated soon. Other cars are doing this. You're seeing this black plastic trim on a lot of things. It's almost, again, uh, going back to cars of the early 2000s, like the Pontiac Aztec, like the Isuzu Vehicross, that were basically completely made out of this black plastic on the bottom half. So, okay, it'll look dated in a few years. It will. It's going to get chalky. It's going to get kind of white and oxidized. That sort of plastic trim just doesn't hold up to the test of time. And come on, if you look at it, I saw someone posted some renders of what, a hypothetical render of what that car would look like with just glossy metal instead of, you know, just the fenders as they are, like the previous generation car. And honestly, it looks pretty good that way. So, um, weird decision. Is it worth all the hate? Because this is actually a very cool car, and the culture of cars on the internet is just um, completely fixated on this one thing. Oh my god, it's a horrible car, because it's got these really ugly fender flares, and I think the rest of the car looks great. Uh, I think, more importantly, again, it's going to be a fantastic driving car. Uh, The journalists who have them on loan from Subaru right now are saying that it drives beautifully, and uh, that's... At the end of the day, that's what we want. We want a car that is fun, which is that. It's practical. It's got four doors and a big trunk. Uh, It's got all-wheel drive. It's good in the snow, but it's also good on track. All-wheel drive is great 
for high-performance driving. Uh, it's also great for rallying. Why don't, why don't more people rally these, like, base model WRXs? I don't get that. Like, it's a WRX. The name of the car, it says rally in the name. World Rally Cross. That's what the WRX stands for. And uh, and I think more cars should do that. Like, if I, if I wanted to go buy a brand new car to then go race in competition or go bomb some dirt roads, WRX all day. And I wouldn't touch the engine. I wouldn't boost it any more than it has been. Everyone is kind of familiar with those engines' reliability when it comes to increasing the performance of them. Uh, so, yeah, I wouldn't touch that. Just put some nice tires on it, some nice suspension, some maybe some uh, some mud flaps. There we go. There we go. And then go rip some dirt roads with it. I think that would be fantastic. I honestly really like the car. So, hey, there you go. Now, hey, coming up in the next half of the show, going to be talking about Rivian, the new electric truck manufacturer that kind of beat Tesla to their own game. And uh, we're going to talk about the build quality of that new truck. This is pretty interesting. You want to stick around. Did you know there's a rare but serious condition affecting one out of every million? Most are born with it. And despite decades of research, doctors struggle to find a cure. The truth is, Thousands of people simply don't know what cars are. For those affected, things are grim, but recent developments show promising success. New clinical trials using breakthrough audio technology have shown a 69% improvement in patients with the most severe symptoms. Treatments vary, but one day we may see a cure. More information is available at ThrottleWarrior.com. Rocket it for the second half of the Automotive ADHD show. Matt West here, hanging out with you to talk to you about cars. Those car sounds from Josh Maldonado. That is a NSX at his uh, tuning shop that he works at. He works on NSXs. How cool is that? Also want to thank you, Josh, for uh, for being a interactive member of the Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. Now, uh, hey, before we talk about uh, the Rivian, before we hit on that, uh, I want to tell you this. Toyota is celebrating its 50 millionth Corolla. Yeah, how cool is that? I feel like I, I haven't gone a single episode without mentioning Toyota. Uh, but you know what? That's because they're an interesting car company. I gave them crap for the um, uh, the subscription fee for the remote start. I will give them crap for that. But overall, I, I like their chassis. But yeah, 50 million Corollas, and they're celebrating this with a manga. Yes, a Corolla manga, which a manga, by the way, in Japan is like a visual novel. It's a, it's a comic book. Um, and so the Corolla has its own manga series now, apparently. Uh, and famously, there was a Corolla in a very famous uh, manga series, even here, famous here in the U.S., called Initial D. Uh, so, you know, the Corolla is no stranger to being in comic books. Uh, and, and Initial D, of course, that's one of those interesting, uh, you know, stories that ultimately it's a manga that then became an anime, a TV show, uh, which got, I would say, a whole generation of gearheads into cars that is a very interesting thing because it, it bridges the gap between car culture and nerd culture and it does it very well and uh it's very accurate too when it comes to a lot of the car stuff that happens in it um and uh, the main character of course speaking of corollas drives an old corolla and fans of the uh show and or manga are absolutely going to be offended that i keep calling it a corolla 
because it is a Corolla, and, <laughs> and I own one, and I can t- I could call it whatever the hell I want. But anyway, um, no, it's an AE86 generation of the Corolla called in Japan the, the Sprinter. That's what they called that, and uh, that was the last rear-wheel drive Corolla. It had a sporty four-cylinder engine, 1.6 liter, but it revved to the moon, twin cam, great little engine, and... Um, and and yeah, and it's it it became a cultural icon because of that comic book series. So Toyota doing a Corolla specific comic book series now is is not unexpected. It is not, and uh, I think it's cool. It you know what whatever it's cool. The uh, I looked through it. It's it's all in Japanese, mind you. But uh, the main character of this uh, manga series suspiciously looks like the main character from that other comic book series. <laughs> Initial D. Um, but you know, hey, what. What can you do? What can you do? Um, I do think it is cool. Fifty million is a great number. Um, they started making those Corollas, by the way, in 1966. So decades of indestructible little commuter cars and occasionally really fun uh, sports coupes. So that is cool. Um, and now maybe at a hundred million Corollas, uh, they'll do. Uh, they'll make a hentai instead of a manga. So hey, we'll we'll see if that happens. We'll see if that happens. Now you know who hasn't sold fifty million units. Rivian, the new electric truck manufacturer, they are taking on Tesla and they're doing a pretty good job of it, actually. I, I like this. So what they what they've done with their electric truck, they came out with it a few years ago. They debuted it at some auto shows and uh, and, you know, it was kind of neat. People are like this looks like a cool truck. And then Tesla has, of course, they announced the Cybertruck and everyone goes bonkers over that. Uh, now, what I think is neat is these Rivian trucks. The model is called the R1T. They're now actually starting to deliver them to actual customers. Yeah, they're starting to go out and about into the world. And uh, now I think the R1T is a really cool looking truck. Uh, Visually, it's fantastic. I mean, it's far nicer looking than the giant block of cheese that is the uh, Tesla Cybertruck. Also, the fact that Rivian actually built it and, you know, Tesla hasn't built the Cybertruck yet. Hmm. That's pretty good. Good on Rivian for doing that. Now, being they're also technically the first to the market, which is cool. That said, being the first is not necessarily always the best, but it seems like they've done a good job. Uh, base price of this truck, $68,000. That's pretty expensive. A pretty expensive base price. Uh, fully loaded, you can have one for $74,000. It has 800 horsepower, all-wheel drive, 300 miles of range, but more importantly, a 11,000-pound towing capacity. Yes, it is a truck. It's a truck uh, kind of the size, a little bigger than a Toyota Tacoma. Um, it, it's a it's a full-size truck, but it doesn't really look like a full-size. Um, and it tows, yeah, 11,000 pounds. That's pretty good. Tacoma, by the way, tows uh, 65 to 6,800 pounds, the current generation, depending if you have the manual or the automatic. Um, also, what's cool about the Rivian truck, it's got a motor at each wheel, so it can do what they call tank turning yeah so the wheels all spin in a different direction and the truck just spins in a circle but being completely stationary otherwise perfect just like a tracked vehicle like a tank or uh one of those bobcat you know like front loaders um that's that's cool that's cool that's a total party trick i don't really see any practical use for it i mean you off-road but if you're off-road and you turn yeah doesn't really make sense the anyway um it just looks cool. I'm, I'm sure plenty of people will start doing it in parking lots. It'll be a cool party trick. Whatever. More importantly, the truck has a drift mode. I like that. I like drifting. Drifting's fun, especially 800 horsepower drifting in a pickup truck. 
That sounds, you know, okay, it's electric. It's not as exciting. There's not the sound of the engine, but that still sounds like fun. I, I would dig that. So uh, they're also going to make an SUV version of this truck built on the same platform, same front end. That's going to be coming out at a later date. So uh, what's cool about this, though, is not that this truck is electric. It's, and, and that's debatable. Uh, what's cool is this is a brand new auto manufacturer in the U.S. Like, how often do we get a new manufacturer actually doing stuff? I, I want to say the last one we honestly had was Tesla. And uh, so it's not often that the big three, Ford, GM, and, and, uh, and Dodge, um, it's not often that they have a challenger, that they have market competition. It really isn't. So this is cool. And what's also cool about this is seeing how Rivian is going about manufacturing these and how the build quality is. Because well, at the end of the day, you have to... It's all, it's all good having these concepts and having these neat trucks and saying we can build them, but actually building them and having some semblance of build quality on a first production vehicle is interesting. And that's something that Tesla has not traditionally done well, especially on their early release cars. Uh, you know, for instance, when the uh, Model 3 came out initially, there were tons of complaints about build quality. You know, glass panels, sunroof panels not lining up, uh, you know, uh, panel fitment on doors and fenders not being good, uh, problems with plastics and trim in the interior, all sorts of little problems that, you know, people are like, well, it's okay, it's not that big of a deal. Well, sure, it, it doesn't affect the drivability of the car, but it's also a $100,000 car. And do you really want those kind of problems for $100,000 when you could, that $100,000 buys you a lot of other really, really properly nice stuff. I mean, thinking higher-end Mercedes and BMW and even some Audi products, you know, are, are, uh, have that build quality nailed down. So, you know, that's always a concern when a new product, a new brand, a new manufacturer comes to town and Rivian seems to be doing well. So, uh, there is a automotive detailing shop uh, called Chicago Auto Pros that got their hands on a Rivian. It was a customer car, not a press car. And, you know, actual car that a customer has. You know, those press cars you got to take with a grain of salt because, of course, the manufacturer is going to give them the nicest, prettiest one that doesn't have any issues. Um, but, you know, it's an actual customer car, and they went over it with the eye of a detailer, you could say, and went over every little panel gap, measured it, and did all the really tiny pedantic stuff that, at the end of the day, it's it's not a big deal, but it does speak to the build quality of the, them getting these cars and getting these cars built well. And so what they found is some minor panel gap issues, very minor, the driver door, the little charge panel that opens, also some of the fender flares. But we're talking really small amounts, nowhere near as bad as Tesla initially was. Tesla's good now. Their stuff is definitely improved. Um, one of the only issues they did find is the power tonneau bed cover. Uh, and so what's neat, kind of another party trick of the Rivian, it's got many quirky features. That's one way they're trying to sell it, you know, make it really quirky and weird. Um, it's got a, a bed cover that retracts back into the body of the bed. Think like a, um, like a, a garage door in multi, multiple sections opening, right? So the problem is the plastic panels, this segmented bed cover that all slides into itself and then folds into the cab area. Um, they found that that was even after just a couple of miles uh, already getting really scratched and beat up because of dust that was getting between the panels and rubbing together. And, um, and, and the issue with this is like, if you are using this truck 
Um, and I, I get this isn't a work truck. This is a lifestyle vehicle. I hate that term, lifestyle vehicle, but it does make sense. Um, this is, you know, for someone who wants to go camping in it, who wants to go, you know, do, you know, take their kayaks out. And, you know, those sort of trendy, outdoorsy, active people who also have tech jobs and probably make a lot of money. That's who this truck is targeted for. But even then, they're going to take their trucks out on trails. They're going to take them doing some light off-roading to get to the campsite. And if that that power bed cover gets filled with dust, dirt, mud, uh, it's very easy to see that that could be a point of failure. And, um, you know, what's the point in having the bed cover if it ceases to be a bed cover because it broke? You're better off with just a manual one that just folds by hand, you know, and rolls up or something. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of cool that they have it, but I also think kind of pointless. Uh, and that does point, uh, you know, prove to be an issue where it could fail. So, that's one thing to consider. But overall, what's cool about this truck, it seems like Rivian has done their job when it comes to hiring manufacturing consultants, when it comes to hiring, uh, you know, manufacturing engineers, setting up their production line. Because again, you know, GM, Dodge, all the big three, Ford, they've had basically a hundred years of experience making cars. They know how to, you know, get all the body panels made and get the powertrain parts made and get the electronics made and then bring those all together into the form of a car on an assembly line quickly and efficiently uh, to get as many out and sell as many as possible as fast as possible. They have that down and that is always where new manufacturers struggle to get things, um, you know, doing to, to get that level of build quality, but that level of production volume as well. There's that's always a challenge. And it looks like Rivian has done their job, which will we see how reliable are these going to be in the future? Well, no one knows. No one knows. Uh, I think with them being electric vehicles, the actual electric drivetrain itself, uh, electric motors are pretty durable. They're pretty reliable. Uh, battery packs are an issue and suspension is an issue. This truck has some really cool um, trick air suspension. And I see that as just a um, potential for breakage because air suspension, especially in an off-road truck, people are going to go take it out on trails. They might do a little light jumping with it uh, or just driving really bad roads with it. Uh, air suspension is not as durable. It's just not, um, you know, and, uh, you know, so I see that as being a potential point of failure. But overall, so far. Things are looking good. I, and again, I think I've said it before. I've said it on previous shows. I like EVs as trucks. I think as trucks, trucks are the perfect candidate for uh, electrification because trucks benefit from having more torque. Trucks have more space for batteries. They're going to have a lower center of gravity, which is going to be nicer in a truck chassis. Um, you know, that, those batteries are going to help the truck have a lower center of gravity. Uh, and then for, for day trips, I think like day trips off-roading, uh, that's going to be a great platform again. Uh, but for any long-term overlanding, you're still better off with gas. Go buy an old hundred series land cruiser, uh, sports cars as well should always, they should be gas, you know, a sports car. Sure. The EV will be faster, but a sports car meant for the enjoyment of driving is best enjoyed light, nimble chassis, high revving engine, manual transmission, rear wheel drive. That's, that's just how it is. Um, and uh, yeah, who cares if the EV's faster? If the gas one's still more fun, that's the one I'm going to pick. But okay, EV trucks. Again, I like them. So we will see where that goes. Now, hey, coming up in the next half of the show, going to be talking about all-wheel drive and why it's probably not the most important thing when it comes to snow. Twas the night before Christmas when all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. 
The children were nestled all snug in their beds, while visions of turbos danced in their heads. When out on the lawn there arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. When what to my wondering eyes did appear, but a Mark IV Supra with boost to hear. And a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be Saint Nick. And then in a twinkling I heard the tires screech, the prancing and pawing of each horsepower. Down the track Saint Nicholas came with a bound, a bundle of parts he had flung on his back. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work, and filled all the stockings with speed parts and more, for the children would not have to return the core. He sprang to his Supra, with tires to roast, and down the track he went making the most. With forty pounds of boost on tap he tore, knowing the children would soon have more. Saying Merry Christmas from the Automotive ADHD Podcast. Ho ho horsepower. Here we are, rocking it for the third half of the show. Matt West here, talking to you about cars. By the way, send your car sounds into the show. I like to play them on the show. It's just a lot of fun. And in the future, I'm going to do some giveaways, give away some cool stuff as I have, uh, as I get more people sending car sounds in. If you send a car sound in, you could have a chance to win something cool. So, And you also get it on the show. Tell your friends, hey, my car's on the show. It's all good stuff. Now, hey, we had our first proper snow here in Colorado this week uh and and it came I will say and there's some sad news from the north of the state it came a day late for some of the major fires up the road north of Denver which uh tragically um burned over 500 structures including shopping centers homes it was it wasn't even it wasn't a forest fire but it was in the suburbs and uh uh no substantial injuries as of right now reported but um i th- that you know growing up here in colorado we've always had forest fires you know some states have tornadoes some states have hurricanes we have wildfires and in my whole lifetime here i can't remember this ever happening in a major city the closest was the waldo canyon fire in colorado springs which did burn some homes near the mountains in some neighborhoods but for a whole neighborhood suburb area to be burnt um, that's definitely tragic. And I will say the snow probably came a day late for those folks. Uh, that said, it did come soon enough to help with the crews putting some of the other fires out. So that is good. Of course, my uh, thoughts go out to the, the families involved in that. Now, that said, uh, it was good to have the snow. It was refreshing. And uh, it also gave me some time to go out and drive in the snow. I'm weird and I kind of go out of my way to do these sort of things, um, you know, and uh, it's it's fun. And the thing is, though, um, the roads were super slick and it got me thinking, you know, so many people don't have proper snow tires or understand even why they need proper snow tires, uh, especially here in Colorado. You think people here would be acclimated to the snow and have, have, uh, experience with it. Now, the fact is we have a lot of transplants coming into the state too, from California and, uh, Texas, but, um, a lot of people buy all-wheel drive cars. We have a lot of Subarus out here, Crosstrex, Outbacks. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people buy them. Oh, it's got all-wheel drive. The salesman says it's good in the snow. And while all-wheel drive is good, it can get you unstuck. It is not a replacement for proper snow tires. And, and I, I've explained this to some friends before, you know, and it's um, something you may not realize if you've never driven a car with proper snow tires, like real studded ice and snow tires, it's something you might not realize. And I had a funny, it is a funny story, uh, from about a year, a little over a year ago. 
Um, I was driving my S2000 in the snow, and I, I picked up some snow tires for it uh, really cheap. I picked up a cheap set of busted-up wheels that are good enough for the snow and a set of snow tires um, uh, used on Facebook Marketplace, studded snow tires, mind you, and put them on the S2000 just because I'm like, you know what? <laughs> this looks stupid. This will be fun. And I got myself in one of the bigger snowstorms we had that year, and I was driving up this big hill in the city in Colorado Springs, and... Um, it was hilarious. The S2000, rear-wheel drive, sports car, convertible. Of course, I had the top down. You must always have the top down while the vehicle is in motion. That is uh, that is convertible rules. And so, yeah, it was snowing. Top was still down. <laughs> and uh, But there was this big hill, and there were all these cars stuck on the hill, like sliding backwards. And there was this lady who slid into the curb, and she was in a later model Subaru Crosstrek, and, um, and she was stuck against the curb. Uh, you know, and just kind of gave up. She's like, I slid down the hill and this is probably where I will stay until the snow lets up. And what's hilarious is the S2000 on those snow tires was just tearing up that hill a little bit of sideways, but it was all good stuff right there. And, um, and, and so it's just tearing up that hill with it. Um, and what the funniest thing about this is I passed her top down convertible sports car. She's in an all wheel drive car that undoubtedly the salesman told her that, oh, it'll be great in the snow. And I literally saw her look over at me as I passed her up the hill and I could see I could read her lips. I could see her mouth out. What the fill in the blank? You, you know, the rest. But this is one reason that snow tires are crucial. And there's a very it's very simple. All wheel drive can oftentimes get you unstuck. It is important and it can change handling characteristics and, and it can be more stable as well. But what it doesn't do is help you stop and turn. And that that function of a car, stopping and turning, especially in the snow, is entirely reliant on the tires. Grip is everything. And my S2000 on cheap Craigslist studded snow tires can virtually outmaneuver anything in about up to eight inches of snow. I, the most I've driven it is about a foot and it starts to get, it, it starts, it, I, I have issues with ground clearance at that point. It starts getting high centered on stuff. Uh, and then I get stuck because I don't have all wheel drive. Uh, but, but, um, it's good up until that point. And, you know, the thing is, 4x4s, all-wheel drive or true four-wheel drive, uh, aren't immune either. My Jeep is great in the snow. Uh, yes, I have a Jeep and I still drive my sports car in the snow. What can you do? What can you do? Um, but uh, the thing is, you know, it's on good all-terrain tires, but even in the snow, four-wheel drive, it can't stop nearly as quickly as something with snow tires, and it can't turn nearly as fast, um, which is the funniest thing. If we have a light amount of snow that gets the roads really slick, gets them nice and hard pack and icy, the S2000 on the snow tires is a better vehicle than the Jeep all-wheel drive lifted with big tires and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but uh, so, yeah, and the thing is, people say, well, OK, maybe I've got all season tires. How about those? The problem with all season tires is they're more like no season tires. They're one. It's one of those cases, um, you know, decent at everything, but excellent at nothing or however that saying goes. They uh, uh, like you have a basic set of different tires, right? You've got all season tires, you've got winter tires and you've got summer performance tires. And those aren't just related to the tread shape and the design of the tread. Those are related to the hardness of the rubber compound used in the tires uh, makes a very big difference there. Uh, summer tires 
can be dangerous in the winter, even if there's no snow still. Under 30 degrees, even a lot of summer tire manufacturers, especially if you have really, really high-performance summer tires, have a little disclaimer on the tire that says, don't drive in conditions below 40 degrees. Uh, I do anyway, but uh, the problem with that is, is those tires... Um, the rubber compounds not designed to have grip at that temperature, and those can actually be worse grip-wise in the cold, cold and dry, than an all-season tire would be. Those uh, summer tires turn into like hockey pucks, essentially. Uh, they they get really hard, really stiff, and have no grip. Uh, and um, and again, all-season tires, those are probably going to be the best in the rain. They have the most aggressive tread pattern for uh, rainy driving, for getting that water out from underneath the tire, making sure you don't hydroplane. They are beneficial for that. But aside from that, all-season tires don't have nearly enough grip in the summer for high-performance driving. They don't have um, nearly enough grip in the winter for winter driving. They're Again, they're not really good at anything. They're, so, they're okay for durability. That's about it. rain and durability. All-season tires are going to probably last the longest because they're pretty hard but um winter tires of course are designed to get even more water evacuated from that tire space the contact patch from the tire to the pavement they're designed to get even more of that winter tires surprisingly are also really soft the actual rubber used in them super soft uh because you want it to be able to grip and have that those flexible characteristics even when it's cold now the downside of that is if you start if you leave your winter tires on your car a little too long into spring and you start driving on 60 70 degree days even with the winter tires on you're wearing them out so much faster than than they need to be uh the winter what's really bad for those winter tires is driving continuously in dry conditions and and in warm weather and a lot of people say well i just don't have time to take my car to the tire shop or i don't want to pay another hundred bucks to have the tires remounted and the solution to that is have a second set of wheels and do it in your driveway it takes 20 minutes with a a, a jack and um and, uh, you know, a breaker bar, uh, you know, and you should obviously use a torque wrench when you uh, tighten them up again. But reasonably, and I think if you can change a tire, you could very easily, if you had a second set of wheels, you have your summer tires on one and you got your winter tires on the other. Very easy to change in the driveway. Um, now, of course, it comes to the question with winter tires. Should I go studded or should I not go studded? Um, I always vote for studded because uh, ice and hard ice pack is really going to be challenging for even a good winter tire uh, that's very good at slush and powdery snow. That hard pack snow is going to be equally as challenging on a winter tire. Studs make a world of difference. They also seemingly reduce your traction, in my experience, on dry pavement. And um, in doing that, um, that's one, that brings me to one other thing. Leaving your winter tires on too long again and on dry pavement that can be super sketchy. Um, those winter tires are not designed to grip in the dry at all. In fact, they will probably be worse in the dry than the all-season tires and, of course, the summer tires. Uh, so, you know, again, there's not one good tire that is going to be good at everything. There really isn't. You have to have multiple sets. If you live, in my opinion, if you live in a state like Colorado, or maybe you live in the really frigid, you know, north uh, area of the country as well, uh, where you get even more snow than we get here, yeah. That's going to be important. And and on that topic, real quick, of winter tires being worse in the dry, another fun story. I won't call it fun. I was uh, on a car cruise with a group of friends, and uh, there was a guy uh, who recently purchased a RX-7 FD, the beautiful one that everyone wants, and uh, he got it imported from Japan, right-hand drive, turbo, and it was mint. The only weird thing about it, the previous owner who was originally the one who imported it, 
technically. But the previous owner who brought it into Colorado left it on winter tires for some inexplicable reason. And we went on a nice spirited cruise uh, one weekend and, um, you know, hit some nice roads here in Colorado, uh, driving maybe a little quick. But um, this guy... Uh, didn't know the realm of he, he didn't know the bounds of traction for his tires. He wasn't that familiar with the car. It was still a new car, and he drove this car. I kid you not, off of a pretty sizable uh, embankment, almost a cliff. And uh, he understeered, locked the car up, flipped it. The car truly flipped nose over rear. He was going very quickly and tumbled down the embankment. And uh, him and his passenger were ultimately fine. Uh, but it was the tragic end of a very rare, very beautiful sports car, uh, and it was on winter tires. And he was, we, you know, the group, you know, several people told him, hey, man, you might want to hang at the back here, chill out a little bit on those winter tires. We're we're not looking to get into, you know, anything unsafe. We're just going for a fun cruise, and um, and that's how it ended. So, yeah, just understanding the difference uh, when it comes to tires and what tires are to be used when, and also the difference between all-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, uh, front-wheel drive, your ultimate combination, of course, is going to be all-wheel drive with snow tires. That is unstoppable in the snow and is also a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, and look, if you're saying, I don't have the money for this, I, I'm just going to keep using the all-seasons. It doesn't have to be expensive. I mean, looking at places... Facebook Marketplace is great. Craigslist is great. My whole tire setup uh, that I kind of misguidedly bolted to a, an S2000, um, the, the set of wheels, cheap wheels, they were banged up, but you know what? They work, 100 bucks, uh, and the tires had like one season on them, studded snow tires in the right size, and uh, 200 bucks. So about 300 bucks, I got my setup. Obviously, if you're looking to buy new, you're probably going to spend closer to 600 or a little more on the tires themselves. Uh, and then having a another set of wheels to swap them on. Or if you do want, you can obviously just swap them onto your current wheels and have that done every season. Now, that said, uh, if you are living in a state like, oh, I don't know, California, Arizona, <laughs> Florida, I my voice is just falling upon deaf ears. I, I don't even... Do you guys even know what snow is? I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Though, uh, I, I don't know. Maybe you could pretend there's snow at the very least. I don't know. You guys... That... Okay. That, uh, you know, in California... Uh, Arizona, all those warm places. I'm so jealous sometimes because it's it's literally driving season year round. the The car season is all year, and uh, yeah, and, and that's cool. That is that is always fun. And, and speaking of Arizona, uh, Wesley Kagan, my buddy there, living in Tempe, Arizona, a madman of engineering. Uh, you can listen to his interview. Uh, which uh, did did happen a couple weeks ago now, uh, talking about Koenigsegg's free valve technology, how he put it on a Miata. So that is very cool. By the way, I want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show. Of course, you can subscribe to this show wherever fine podcasts and this one are downloaded. And remember, if you're in Southern Colorado, this show is also on the radio now, Saturday mornings, 91.7 KLZR, Voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. I'm really excited to partner up with them. Lots of great folks there making this show a possibility on the radio. So that is very cool. And I will see you next week, same time, same place, when I race an F-14 fighter with an old Kawasaki. See you then.